Well, hey there, American Farmstead Hers. This is Jenny with the Grampstead Family Farm. And Donna with Hazel Bell Farm. And we are coming to y'all from Northeast Florida as two American farmsteaders doing our best to grow our own food and share our homesteading experiences with you in hopes that you would grow a little bit of food of your own. Yeah, and this week we are talking about the USDA plant hardiness zone maps. Uh, And they've changed recently. Yes, they've changed. So I guess the last time they did this change was in 2012. I think so, yep. Yeah. Yeah, so they change about every 12 to 13 years. And uh, there's been a lot of hoopla. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. In the homestead world about it. Yeah, but one interesting fact that I did read about the change is when they made this map back in 2012, there were only like 7,000-ish weather stations that were involved in the data collection. Right. And this time when they did it, there was over 13,000 weather stations involved. Yeah, I was reading on the USDA's website about that, and mm-hmm. they um, they mentioned that the, the data points are a lot more um, conclusive now yeah, than so they've been ever Yeah, so a lot before. more thorough. Right, right. So with the zone map change, um, about half, of our country's zones changed. Is it half, really? About 50%, yeah. yeah. I didn't really look too much further north than like Georgia, Mm -hmm. but I noticed there were some big changes in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. So the gardening zones in the United States are divided up from zones 1 through 13, 1 being the coldest, 13 being the warmest, and then you get half zones. So that's where the A and the B come in. Okay. Right? So we have been, historically, we've always said 8B slash 9A, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, well, what is it? Well, literally, the, the dividing line kind of went, like, right over our town. Mm-hmm. And so you have to account for microclimates. Um, but we'll talk about that more in a minute. So A and B are the half zones, and those kind of go on 5-degree increments, where the 1 through 13 goes on 10-degree increments. Okay. So, for example... We are zone officially 9A now. Right. Which means that our average lowest temperature over the last 30 years is between 20 and 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Right, because that's what the data is based on. It's the average over 30 years. Yes. Okay. Not necessarily the actual coldest in the last 30 years. So keep that in mind when you're planting. Okay. Right? So um, the half zone, so we're 9A Definitely not 9B. Right. So 9A is going to be those five degree differences. So really between that 20 and 30, we're really like 20 to 25 is our average low. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. It does. (laughs) Where 8B, our average low before they were saying was 15 to 20. Right. So now that said, I know several times in my gardening career, for lack of a better word, experience over the last 15 years that we've had nights in the teens, right? Yeah, it it definitely has happened. Yeah, so experience matters. Yeah, (laughs) especially here at my house. Like, I feel like we get way colder than anybody else around us, and I don't know if it's just because of our setup. Like, Mm. our property is basically in the middle of 200 acres of woods, Mm -hmm. basically, and then, you know, here we are, big open 10-acre pasture, and man, that wind comes through here, and it gets cold. Yeah. Really kind of settles in right here. 
Yeah, yeah. So those microclimates matter too. Yeah, absolutely. We had our first frost about a week ago. Yeah. And Jenny and I were talking before we started recording, and I kind of got like very patchy frost. In fact, my garden didn't really get frost, I don't think. Mm-hmm. My yard was patchy. The roof on the, the roof structures were patchy frost. But um, Jenny said heavy frost. Yeah, I did. I had I had heavy frost. Mm-hmm. Um, I had had some water collect on the top of my meat chicken tractor mm-hmm. and it froze. Oh, it so froze. you were more than frost. You it were was freezing. Cold. Yeah. And that morning when Tori left in his truck, his truck said 28 degrees mm. and the weather was forecasting like 34 degrees, I think for that night. So, I think we were at 34 yeah. in, in that morning. We were solid solid white out here. Wow. It was like winter wonderland in Florida. We're only 15, 20 <laughs> minutes apart. So All the Florida kids get all excited. It is. It's like snow. <laughs> it snowed. It's frost. <laughs> uh, not really. <laughs> That's cute. Okay. So your average low temperature over the last 30 years, like I said, and it's updated every 10 to 13 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're looking from 1991 until 2020. I don't know why it took them three years to get that data Completed. <laughs> right. But yeah, it goes to 2020, so not even okay. current. Okay. Strange to right. me. But that's, that's weird. Yeah, but Whatever. that's what it is. Um, here's what it means for you to have a difference in zones. Um, not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and here's why. Zones are not indicators of our growing season. Right. Right. So we're 9A. 9A kind of skirts the coast all the way around the United States. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're in Canada or uh, some European countries, they have some growing zone kind of some another kind of chart. Canada has another kind of chart. Mexico doesn't do anything like that at all. So this is really specific to the United States as far as growing zones go. Um, So, yeah, they don't tell us um, they're not relevant to our first and last frost date. So some 9A and 8B, even I'll still say, (laughs) because that experience, um, you know, they can have like inches and inches of snowfall and and have much less frost-free days than we have. And we're not getting snowfall. No. You know, it's like a showstopper if we ever do. Right. (laughs) You know, Um, but we're in the same growing zone because the temperature, so it's the, the climates are way different even though we're in the same zone as far as that lowest temperature goes. Um, they're not a guarantee to grow successfully. It has nothing to do with your soil type, humidity, precipitation, you know, none of that. So um, the only thing that really changes for us is if we are planting perennial things. So if you are a perennial landscape gardener, an ornamental gardener, or you have berry bushes you're trying to put in and nut trees, fruit trees, those kinds of things, zone really, really matters. Yeah. So you want to look for varieties that will tolerate your zone, right? Yes. Your average coldest temps. Yes. And then even then, sometimes they (laughs) don't tolerate it. Even then, sometimes, (laughs) yeah. So our average frost dates haven't changed at all, right? They're still the same. But for some folks, it did. No. How is that true, though? Because eight has a different than it, nine. It, mm-mm. They're fr- no, the frost dates are the same. They, have, they didn't change anything with average frost dates. Okay. I know. Has nothing to do with growing zone. Okay. 
<laughs> it's so strange. It's so <laughs> strange. So you're still going to start your same seeds. Like as an annual vegetable gardener, you're still going to start your same seeds at the same time to put out before or after your last frost, right? right? Or before your first frost in the fall. You're still going to have the same number of frost-free days. Um, don't tear out your existing plants just because they may not. <laughs> this is this is stuff I've heard, questions I've seen. Yeah. Should I tear out these plants since now they're not... Uh, acclimated to my zone or they're not, you know, hybridized for my zone. Right. No. No, don't do that. No. Um, you may have to protect them a little more than you did before. Right. I don't know. Like, I still feel like if we're, st- if we're going to see temps that are 18 degrees, you know. <laughs> I think one, if we did, it would totally be a freak thing. Right. I mean, I know we have. Yeah. So, but it's not the it's not the common. It's, it's not, not the, the usual. Common. It's not the average. Right. It's the low, low, low. It's the lowest low. Yeah. And so, you know, your plants might be fine over a thirty-year period. Right. Exactly. So your lemon trees might be fine for four or five years, and you're getting production. Are you really talking about my citrus tree that <laughs> I lost last year? In that freak cold. <laughs> in that freak cold, we had right. like four days where it was in the twenties. And, and it my, didn't get above freezing. And my beautiful citrus tree, and I mean, this thing was established. I had been pulling off of it for several years now right. and dead. Yeah. Yeah. So that can happen still. Yeah. Like that can that can totally happen. And I mean, that could happen before. So, yeah. I mean, that's not, like I said, there's not a lot of difference here. It's, yeah. You know, if, you're, if you're pushing your zone with stuff like citrus, avocados, um, you know, like where we are, we can grow those subtropical things for a while. Kind of. Kind of. Like if you hit the window right to get them mature enough to be able to withstand something like that, yeah, um, then you might be okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a reason that Florida lost, I don't know, like 80% of its citrus crop back in you know, the early 1900s because, mm-hmm. like, it's we're not designed for that. Like right. it doesn't, the climate doesn't work for that. Yeah. I feel like I'm tripping over my words. <laughs> uh, so, you know, if you are pushing the zone, you're going to have to be extra mindful is all in that kind of thing. So um, look at covering plants, look at cold frames, look at, um, you know, even double covering. If you grow under um, like a high tunnel of yeah. sorts, you can still use low tunnels along the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a saying that you gain a zone for every layer of covering. Oh, really? Of plastic covering. Okay. Um, But I've recently heard that that's absolutely not true. It's not that you gain a zone. It's you're just trapping the air, you know, the warm air. Um, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't have a lot of experience with that because I am primarily a vegetable gardener who plants annually. Right. Exactly. We're, We're growing for our zone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is anything. You can grow anything. Yeah, no, I'm I am about done trying to push the zone. Like I've lost a lot of stuff in the last couple of years trying to push the zone. So now I'm like, nope, no more exotics. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I I really. What was the thing that you um, lost last year? My papaya Your tree. Your papayas, yeah. 
But okay, so I had two papaya trees and um, both of them, I mean, they I just thought that they were completely done. Well, one of them came back this year mm. and was slap full of papayas. Like I had probably 20 papayas on this tree, but then it came back like with this virus where it made the papayas bitter. So the mm. tree was beautiful, the fruit was beautiful, but the, it tasted awful. Like, and it's weird, like mm. you can go up to the papaya and barely touch it, mm-hmm. and it starts weeping milk. Like sap. It's like a latexy kind of milky. Okay. It's weird. It apparently was the virus that took out, like, the whole entire crop of papayas in Australia. Oh. And so now, like, in Australia, they're like, if you have this, you have to report it. And right. It's like greening with the citrus here. Yeah. So my papaya has that. Oh, that's terrible. It looks awful after the freeze again, so I'm pretty sure it got wiped out again. And I wonder if it was susceptible to that virus because, because of, the, of the damage. Yeah. Yeah. And you do wonder, like plant I know. immunity. I know. I, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But and I'm with you. I'm kind of done trying to push because it yeah. costs money, and it's heartbreaking. Yes. <laughs> it's heartbreaking to get those trees. I mean, how long did you work on those trees? The papaya trees mm-hmm. for a couple years. Right. Yeah. Before you got fruit, you had one good fruitful year. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then they're done. Yep. Mm. Yep. And they were so pretty too. Mm. And it was so exciting because I don't grow a whole lot of fruit. I mean, I had my awesome citrus tree that died. But, <laughs> you know, so for me to have like fruit on a tree, like that was a big deal. Yeah. You know? So. Hey, I saw this really cool graphic the other day online. I screenshot it. I meant to send it to you. Mm-hmm. It was... um and I can't remember what website put it out. It's one of the popular homesteading websites. It was a graphic about um, how many fruit trees do you plant per person for your house for a year's worth of fruit. Okay. And a lot of the stuff that they had on there was stuff that will grow in our area. So I thought, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. Send that to me. I know. Maybe we'll have to like do a podcast about it. We'll talk about fruit it one trees. day. Fruit yeah. tree. Yeah, I'd like to better my fruit tree situation. Mm-hmm. I've had some success in the past, and I don't know how to not move, so I've left right. them behind. Mm. <laughs> not where we are now, though. Currently, I don't have any decent fruit trees happening. Yeah. So I have a really pretty Barbados cherry. Mm-hmm. Again, pushing the zone. Right. And Did you bring it in? No, but I didn't expect a freeze. I expected... Exactly what we got, patchy frost. Yeah. And it's underneath um, an oak tree. Okay. So if we if it freezes, I'll bring it in. It's planted in, in a bucket. So right. Like a big, I think it's, what are those mineral tubs? Like 30-gallon yeah. yeah. pots, something like I that. I think so. So I'll be able to bring it in to the garage, which we have a gas furnace on our house, and which is in the garage. So the garage warms up so I can put it in there. Nice. Yeah. That's a good option. Yeah. So that's the plan. So yeah, if you're trying to push the zone, um, it, you know, you might have some differences. You might be able to actually push more because the way this the zone shifted, everything's a little bit warmer. So that's cool. Yeah, I think as far as growing goes. Yeah, absolutely. You can tolerate a little more, except if like if you're here, <laughs> and we need chill hours for for certain things like apples, yeah, you know, or peaches. We need a certain number of chill hours for those fruit trees to fruit. Um, you have to be mindful of, of your zone. Mm-hmm. So again, though, experience counts. So if what you have is working, don't go tear stuff out. <laughs> Goodness, no. <laughs> and teach us. Right. <laughs> Send us. What are those varieties that you're using? We'd like to know. 
Yeah, for sure. So microclimate, we we already talked about microclimates, but um, just Mm -hmm. keep in mind that they do exist, that, you know, typically um, there's warm spots and there's cool pockets. Your warm spots are going to be where there's concrete and asphalt. So in the cities, right? if you're in a subdivision with very little lawns, Mm -hmm. um, you're probably going to be a little bit of a warmer spot. And by warmer, I mean like a degree or two. (laughs) It's not not like if your whole region is freezing, you might... Expect it to be cold. Yeah, it's going to be cold, (laughs) but maybe you don't freeze if it's a difference of, you know, 31, 33 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, along rivers or like large bodies of water are going to be warmer pockets. And uh-huh. so you'll be able to get away with maybe those citrus things and cherries and stuff like that. Um, cooler pockets are going to be in your more rural areas outside of the urban sprawl, um, which is kind of where you are. I mean, it's kind of yeah. where I am too, but... Um, also, like hills and valleys make a difference. Like yeah. where my garden is specifically on my property, it's it's in a dip yeah. on our land, and so uh, a lot of times that cold air flows over the top of it. It doesn't settle down on the garden, and mm-hmm. we miss the frost. Yeah, so that's kind of a benefit. That's it's not nice. why we put it there, but I'm so thankful. <laughs> but it sounds good. <laughs> it, it's a really good testament to, um, and I just I just got lucky. Like, we did not pay attention to the land for a year before we put anything in. No. You know, like they tell new homesteaders right. to do. Just pay Observe attention your to land yeah, for yeah, a yeah, year. No. Yeah, do the sun mapping and watch how the water flows. <laughs> like, all of that is great advice. But it is. The reality is, I don't know anybody who does that. No, I, I, I don't know anybody who has done that. We surely did not do that. Like, no. As soon as we got here we're like yep let's go the garden goes here yep yeah and I and like as a gardener I'm not going to live on land and not have a garden no so yeah it went first and we knew right where we wanted it and we got lucky right (laughs) so (laughs) thankfully that worked out so um yeah I think that's I mean that's the gist of it the the only other thing I can think of is there's acclimation a lot of perennials they kind of natural uh gain naturally gain some cold hardiness in the fall as the the number of light hours goes down and the cool right. temperatures come back in the evenings. Um, so, you know, if you have the, that cooler, a, a period of time where it's cooler before it gets cold, then those perennial plants have a stronger chance of lasting. But like last year, when you lost so many of your established fruit things, yeah, we didn't have any cool temperatures. Like our first frost was 20 degrees cold. It was like major. Yeah, it was not just frost. It was and like it lasted, a wipeout. It lasted for like three or four days. Yeah, it was very, very cold. And like a lot of the Southeast saw that same cold. I it don't was ever, crazy. Yeah, I don't ever remember it being that cold for that long Mm-mm. where we are. Yeah, no. Never. No, yeah, it was it was a long time, four or five days. Came out of it back to 80. Right. <laughs> you know, like Florida likes to do. <laughs> but by then everything was brown. And sad, and um, we had lost so much. So, but if if you have cooler nights for a while before that first frost or before that first freeze, you're likely to to save your plants. Yeah, Um, and then they kind of lose that cold hardiness in the spring. So, yeah, unreasonable cold snaps can kill your plants Mm -hmm. that you're trying to push. So that's something to remember. And the last thing I would say is that maps should be a guide. Not the rule. Like I said, experience yes, matters. You absolutely. Know? You know what has worked for you. If you've keep kept any kind of gardening records, mm-hmm. uh, you know when to plant. You know how many frost-free days you have left. You know when to push it and, and when it's a risk that you're willing to take or not take. Yeah. Um, so just keep at it. Talk, talk to your experienced people around you if you don't have the experience. 
Yeah. You know, find out what are those master gardeners doing? What are the farmers doing? Mm -hmm. When are they, when are they selling green beans? And then count back days to figure out when they planted it. Yeah. You know, if you don't want to bother them. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's been like a late, the latest kind of agricultural, like hot topic, but I got another one. Yeah. Yes. Our broken food system. Hello, Mm -hmm. all these chicken plants. Mm -hmm. Well, hey there, American Farmsteaders. We just wanted to let y'all know that we have a brand new website, AmericanFarmsteadHers.com. It's your hub for modern homesteading inspiration, knowledge, and community. You can find encouragement to grow food from our blog, podcast, and our in-person workshops. You can find all this and our merch store, which supports the podcast and the blog. Be sure to check it out and subscribe to our newsletter while you're there to keep up with all the Farmstead Her happenings at AmericanFarmsteadHers.com. Okay, so... Another plant. Another Local. plant, yeah. yeah. And so Tyson, who's owned by China, mm-hmm. okay, we'll just preface it with that, um, shut down their, um, one of their, I don't know if it was the largest plant, but it was in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And so they shut that down. And, um, you know, you heard a little bit about it, but not a whole lot of ruckus went on. But then it happened again at the end of November um, with a different company, uh, Cook's Venture, mm-hmm. I think is the name of the company. I don't know who they're owned by, but uh, Cook's Venture, they um, apparently gave their farms that they contract with for their poultry, like, no notice right. at all that, like, hey, we are closing up shop. And so... Um, there was a farm that I had ran across on Instagram on the Homesteaders of America page um, that was commenting on their post about it, saying that they were one of the farms that was contracted right. as a poultry provider for this Cook's Venture. And um, they came out to their farm and killed all of their meat chickens. Oh, my gosh. Two chicken houses, 34,000 chickens were killed on this farm, and they said, the farm said on Instagram, they left them to rot in the chicken houses. Oh, my gosh. And they gave these people zero notice of, hey, we're closing up shop, and nope, we're not going to accept those 34,000 chickens that are ready for butcher, and yes, we are killing them, and you have no say in the matter. That's ridiculous. What a waste. I know. How many hungry people can be fed by 34,000 chickens? 34,000 chickens. I mean, if you consider they're a five-pound chicken when they're processed. And I mean, and not just people, but like the chicken, (laughs) I'm I'm at a loss for words. The chicken can be used. Like how many times have we talked about, you know, not wasting and using making the stock and using the feet and the heads and there's pet food and the organs. And there's blood meal for your garden. And there's blood meal. Like there's so many, there's so much the whole chicken can be used for. Yeah. And then you can compost it at the end. Yeah. I can't, I can't fathom 34,000 chickens dead for no reason. Yeah. But I mean, it, it just leaves me speechless. I haven't. Yeah. The company basically stated that, you know, they absolutely just had no more money to continue their operation. They had no choice, but to immediately just close down. And the thing about that is 
These chicken farmers who are actually running the farms that are not Tyson and not Cook's Venture, right? Right. The farms are small family farms. They're people who have land, yeah. who have, they've had farmland in for generations, right? And they, a lot of times, like they were a different kind of farm. Right. You, you know, like they produced a crop or they were a dairy farm or something that went, this isn't going well, the numbers didn't work out for them. And right. they ended up needing to, um, Switch gears. And so they contract with companies like Tyson. Yes. Right? They add uh, infrastructure. They build the chicken houses. They put all this work, time, money in. Yes. Employees, right? Yeah. And then to have somebody just come out and just pull the rug out underneath them. Right. And I mean, I guess these these large poultry companies technically have like the right, if you would want to call it a right, right. to go in there and kill all 34,000 of those chickens because they don't technically belong to the farmer. Right. They're okay. already contracted to be sold to the company. So the big company is who owns the chickens. I'm curious how financial compensation happens, you know, if it happens. I don't know. There's a really good documentary <laughs> Um, the guy who did the original Super Size Me documentary, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he does like a part two to that documentary it's where it's just chicken. It's just chicken. Yeah. Who's yeah. The guy who does so, that? He's a famous guy. Is it Morgan something? Freeman, yeah. Yeah. It Morgan is, Freeman. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Morgan Freeman. It's and been so, years since I've seen it. It's such a great documentary. I mean, every, any any of you listeners out there mm-hmm. that are watching, y'all find this documentary. I think it might be called Super Size Me Too. I don't know. It'll have you. Uh, growing out your own meat chickens, I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's all about he 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 decides that he's going to open a fast food restaurant that is based on pasture raised chicken. Right, and so the theory is is that he's going to raise these chickens organically out on pasture. But really what he does throughout the process of the documentary is expose the labeling. Right. Yes conspiracy yeah. in our country about <laughs> what pasture is and what organic is and, and what's and, free range and what's what's free range Cage and free, so yeah all the yeah labels. and so throughout this documentary um you know he he gets in touch with a lot of different poultry farmers and does a lot of interviews and and it really kind of exposes the big poultry industry for what it really is mm-hmm. um and there's actually a couple that he tells story of a couple of farmers on there who just they they lose everything mm-hmm. And it's the same kind of setup what just happened with this Cook's Venture thing with yeah. this other farm. So, But he ends up opening up the fast food restaurant by the end of the documentary. And so, like, all of, like, the decoration <laughs> Spo- in— Spoiler alert. <laughs> I know. I love it, though. I think it's so cool. All of the decoration, like, in the business is exposing all the labeling— conspiracies that we have going on in our country. So it's a really great documentary. Yeah. Y'all should find it and watch it. I think it's on Netflix. Probably so. Yeah, I think it's on Netflix. It's been a few years since I've watched it. Me too. Me too. It is a good one, though, and it's very eye-opening, especially if you're just not... Right. to any of that. Right. You know, and and it, and a lot of people just aren't mm-hmm. because I mean, this is just this what this is what we have been spoon-fed. Mhm. Well, and there's a certain amount of um, you know, trust, trust. in our <laughs> agencies and right, right, right. Like they they are the authority. This is what they say. Right. I think the homestead movement though kind of correlates with that uh building in distrust, you know, the break, the breaking of the, yeah, the question, everything, right. The blindly following you're right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely question everything. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, these days you just never know what you're actually getting. 
I think the last four years have opened a lot of eyes. <laughs> yeah. As as we see, the homestead movement has really opened up, and it there's a flood of people getting in. Yeah, and that's good because, I mean, this whole debacle with the chicken you know, mm-hmm. companies just coming in and pulling out the rug out from under these farmers and killing that many chickens. I mean, that is a broken food system. So that is a dangerous food system. It really is. That could leave a lot of people hungry if people don't get on board and start growing some of their own food. Yeah, I'm anxious to see what the price of chicken is. I know what that's what, what do. it's about to do. Remember in the spring when we had the the great egg shortage with bird flu. Right. Right. Yeah, and the price of eggs were ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So that's probably something similar that's about to be coming with the grocery store chicken is like insanely high prices. So interesting. If you can't grow it, find a small local farmer or a homesteader that is doing it and see if you can start buying from them. Yeah, and I'll add on to that, not just chicken, like anything. 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 Yep. Not we just have, chicken. I, we just posted a post over on our blog, so go check that out at AmericanFarmsteaders.com. Yes. Um, about buying beef in bulk yeah. and what hanging weights mean and all of that. And um, I would encourage you to look for beef, pork, Chicken, eggs, whatever it is. Yeah, start trying to source it yourself outside of the conventional grocery stores because Mm -hmm. it's just not a sustainable way to get food. I agree. I agree. So go out there and grow some food. Know your new zones. Yeah. Start something new. Yeah. Show a picture of it on Instagram and get start light the fire for others. Yes. Maybe tag us in it so we can see it. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll talk to y'all next week. All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.